thank you for that. Thank you that you are the light. Thank you that uh, in you there is no darkness at all. Lord, we're grateful for that. I pray, Lord, that as we talk about that, as we turn our attention to your word now, Lord, that you would help us to recognize the, the, the truth about who we are as, as a body of believers, as a, the communion of, of saints. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now through your word, by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Today is, is uh, actually Sunday 8 in our series in the Apostles' Creed. And uh, if, if this is your first day, we've been going through the Apostles' Creed and what it, what it talks about. And, and a couple of facts that are important for us is, number one, the Apostles' Creed was, was not actually written by the Apostles. It wasn't divinely inspired. It, it's, it's a good summary statement of the basic foundations of Christianity. And so uh, we've been talking through that, and uh, we were going to... You know, we were supposed to end last week, and there was just no way we could cram in the last three subjects uh, in, one, in one Sunday. So um, last week we talked about the church and how the church is the hope of the world and, and how, how the church acts is not a building, it's the people in, in that church and how God has, has um, called us as lights to the community. How we are to be salt and light was the, the illustration that we looked at last week from, from, the, from the Bible. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the communion of the saints and what exactly that is and, and what that means. Now, there was a man from Wyoming. He was a businessman, and he went down to Alabama uh, on a business trip. And he was, he was in a, a, a restaurant, and he was uh, going to order some breakfast. And he's, he was looking down through the menu. He saw that, that every item listed on the menu um, was served with grits. And, uh, and, and he, you know, wasn't from the South, and he didn't know what grits were. And anybody, anybody here have grits in their pantry? Um, one, two, three. Okay, really. Um, awesome. I've never had them. So uh, I, don't, I, I couldn't say whether they're good or not good. I've never tasted them. So um, anyway, uh, he asked the waitress, he says, what exactly is a grit? And the waitress, in uh, her response was classic. She said, honey... Um, there's no such thing as a grit. They don't come by themselves. That's just the way they are. They come in community. Grits come together. And that's really how life is for us. Uh, we are community. That's true for us. In fact, it's been true for us from the very beginning. Um, and we were created in the image of God. And God by nature is community. Um, God himself is three in one. Um, the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know how. Uh, God is just so great and so big and so amazing that, that there's no real way to illustrate it or understand the Trinity. But the Bible speaks of God being one and being three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we, being created in His image, 
have been created to be in community. Um, there's a, a young man who's the son of a family in our church, and he's, he's been living in, in, uh, in an Asian country. I can't remember exactly which country it is. Um, but he's over there in Asia, and he was in a motorcycle accident, and he ended up spending two weeks in the hospital. Now, he said that he got great medical care. He said it was really inexpensive to be hospitalized there, but, but being alone in that country, no other family, and I don't know if he has friends or not, um, there was one problem about being in a hospital for two weeks in this particular Asian country. They don't have a cafeteria. They don't feed you. Um, your friends and family bring food to you during the course of the day for your stay in the hospital. So I don't, I don't know if he had friends or not. It, it sure shows the importance of having friends, doesn't it? So I have a question for us here this morning. If, if our hospitals operated that way, and you were to end up in the hospital from an accident, who would bring you food? Do you have people in your life who would, who would bring you food? Do you have friends? Do you have a connection? Uh, and then and let me turn that around a little bit. Who would you bring food to? What friends do you have that if they were in the hospital and the hospital didn't feed them three meals a day, who would you bring food to? You know, that's the kind of community I think that, that God envisions for us. And that kind of community doesn't come naturally. In, in fact, um, unless we take steps to move closer and closer to people around us, it's not going to happen. And, and what we're going to end up with in, in the end is, is, is alone. Uh, we're going to be lonely. Uh, that's what happens when we drift apart. And that's why I believe in the communion of the saints. Now, we're going to start this morning with the idea of saints, okay? So, so uh, point number one in your notes right there is saints. Now, Paul often referred to the people that he wrote to as saints. He refers, he says, uh, he addresses his letters to the saints in Rome, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints in Corinth. And we cringe when we think about the fact that, that we would be a saint, right? I mean, how could, I mean, I know myself. And, and why, why would I ever consider myself a saint? And the reason that we do that is because we have a misunderstanding of what the Apostles' Creed and what Scripture talks about when it says, when Paul says, I'm writing to you, the saints, those who believe. And we're going to take a look at that right here. I mean, I, I don't know that, you know, maybe you don't want people to think that you're a saint. Groucho Marx once remarked that he wouldn't want to join a club that would be okay with having him as a member. Okay? Sometimes we think about the church that way. We think that if I'm a saint, then there's nothing really special about being a saint. Um, after all, if all believers are saints, then the idea of saint seems to not mean a whole lot. But there's two things that we have to remember and that we have to know when it comes to this word saint. Okay? Saint simply means made holy. Okay? It means made holy. A saint is someone who is holy. Now, last week we looked at 1 John, or I mentioned it, 1 John 1, 9. I want to put it up on the screen this morning. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so if we, who is we? It's us. It says, if we, if we confess our sins, He, who is He? God, Jesus Christ. Okay, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Who purifies us? God does. Who, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness? God does. 
Not me, not you. It's not by us just trying to be disciplined and doing the right things and that sort of thing. That sort of cleansing doesn't come from us. Okay? We are made holy by God. It's all Jesus Christ's work. If you are a Christ follower this morning, because God called you and you responded to that call on your life and you believed, then you are holy because He has made you holy. Now, uh, have you ever stood outside on a really um, clear night when there's a full moon? I mean, the full moon, the, the moon is high and, and it is just as bright as you've ever seen it. Beautiful. In fact, I wish I had a telescope sometimes so I could look at it like on TV, like at an NFL football game when they zoom into it and you can see all of the little parts of the moon and, and how it is just illuminating things. I mean, there's times when, when uh, you can be driving down the road, down the highway, and the moon is so bright that you could turn off the lights on your car and you could still see the road. Now, I wouldn't suggest that, okay? I wouldn't do that. But, but the, moon cre- the, the moon illuminates the earth when it's full, doesn't it? Now, in the 1960s, uh, we sent some astronauts to the moon. And when the astronauts landed on the moon, they found out a couple things. Number one, the moon was dead. The moon is made up of dirt and rocks, and that's it. There's nothing on the moon that produces light. The the, the moon does not illuminate the earth in and of itself. Where does the moon get its light? It gets it from the sun. It's a reflection of the sun, right? So you have this incredibly bright light, the sun, shining and reflecting off of the moon. And then we get the light. And and we're going to hold that thought because we're going to talk about that. See that mirror right there? That represents us. That represents your life and my life. We do not produce this holiness. God produces this holiness in us. We do not produce this salt and this light at which we are to be unto the earth. God does within us. And we reflect that to others. So, as saints, we are someone who is made holy. To say that we believe in the communion of the saints doesn't mean that we somehow believe that the church should be a club or, or some uh, special group. It means that we believe in a holy, all-powerful God who has called us as individuals to a community, the church. And that community is to be light and salt. And we as community members then are under His work of restoration and renewal. It's, it's a humbling thing to think about, really. I mean to think that we are saints, that we have been made holy by God, yet we need to maintain our humility in the midst of that. It's not an, it's an arrogant thing. It's not a prideful thing. It's a very humbling thing. All right, so, we are called to be holy, not because we are holy. So to call someone a saint is simply is to simply acknowledge that they have been made holy by God. So Paul, when Paul writes to the Romans, or Paul were to write to the Christians of, of Lingle or southeastern Wyoming or western Nebraska, he would write to the saints. That's us, because we have been made holy. 
uh, a saint is also, number, uh, the second sub-point under number one, someone who is set apart. Someone who God has consecrated for a specific purpose. And we saw last week that that purpose is to, to be a witness into his world. As Christ followers, we have been chosen. We have been chosen and we have been empowered. We have been given this holiness. We have been given this light that we are to shine into other people's lives. Now, our sin is real. I am an imperfect person. I have sinful thoughts. I, I make bad choices and, and bad decisions. But that doesn't make me unholy. God is the one that makes me holy. He's the one that forgives that. that. He's the one that cleanses me from that unrighteousness. And I say that because of this. If you are a Christ follower here this morning, I'm guessing that, that you are um, because there was somebody in your life that was a witness to you about the love of Jesus Christ. I'm guessing that if, if I polled everyone in this room, that, that very few of you, if any, would say that I became a Christ follower out on an island, I was there by myself for years, and, and, and God spoke to me and changed my life. Now, that's possible. But I would guess that most of us, it was somebody significant in our life. Maybe it was a coworker or a friend, or maybe it was a parent or a grandparent or a sibling that told you one day about how much Jesus Christ loved you and, and God began to move in your heart and you believed. Now, think about that person, that special person in your life, and, and I want you to answer this. Were they perfect? Um, if you came in here thinking a saint was somebody that was, you know, had reached some, some place of maturity or, or perfection, would they fit that? I, I would guess no. I, I know that I, I love my grandma deeply and I respected her greatly. But I know she did things that were wrong. I know she had prideful thoughts and made judgments that she shouldn't have. Okay? But she was one of the significant people in my life when it came to what I knew about Jesus Christ. And, and I know now that even in my imperfection, in my sinfulness, that God can use me in the life of someone else. So, so what I'm trying to say to you is that as a saint, as someone who is holy, been made holy by God and who has been set apart, you have been set apart as, as one of God's instruments on this planet to bring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. And your imperfection, your, your sinfulness and mine, um, God, God's working on that. God's restoring us. We're all at a different place. Second um, Corinthians chapter five, verses seventeen through twenty-one say this: Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Again, keyword: If anyone is what in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone; the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled us to Himself; He made us holy, and then wants us to be that person, that extension of Him on the planet for his mission of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the word to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, his representatives, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God first. Believe, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. It's our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his resurrection so that in him, in Christ, we might become 
the righteousness of God. We might become lights into a dark world, lights into a dark family, lights into a a life that we know of that's experiencing darkness. So we are holy because God has made us that way. I believe in the communion of the saints. Now let's take a look at the aspect of communion. Okay, the Creed is not talking about communion. Um, about, it's not talking about the Lord's Supper. It's, it's not talking about the sacraments. Okay, it's talking about community. It's talking about fellowship. Communion in the Creed is the old English word for fellowship, and it identifies a major part of the church. A major part of the church is, is to be that family that we walk through life with, that we journey through life with, that, that we hold each other up and, and, and we uh, encourage each other to press on when we need it. Who would you take food to in the hospital? Who would bring food to you? Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and we see that that the people that were a part of the early church, um, they wouldn't have had a problem with somebody bringing them food at the hospital. There would have been somebody there. Probably three courses and snacks in between, I'm guessing. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, this is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. God is moving in the life of this early church. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now some in our world today would say that's not possible in our culture. That's not possible in 2015. But you know what I think of that? I think the God that I serve today, the Holy Spirit that has filled me, the Jesus Christ that died and paid the price for my sin and rose again is alive and well today just like He was when this was written. He's the same God, He's the same Spirit, and He's working today just as He was working back then. So why couldn't this be possible in our world today? It is possible. Not easy, but possible. So number two, uh, communion is fellowship. Communion is fellowship. God created us to belong. God created us to belong to a community. His community and the church community. He often refers to the church as the family of God in Scripture. Now, you don't have to read your Bibles for very long to realize that God's family isn't one big, happy, leave-it-to-beaver family. Okay? It's not. Which is another reason why I think that the Scriptures are, are true and real. Because it's, all, it's just all in there. Imperfections, failures, it's all there. Right? Um, I... I I think, I think uh, God's family is more like Survivor meets Breaking Bad, if you know anything about those two, those two TV shows. I mean, it's, it's, it's a struggle. It, 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 is, it is messy. Um, fellowship can be difficult, and it takes significant sacrifice on our part. And it takes risk. It takes risk. And, and you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, you know, maybe you... 
maybe you've been standing on the edge and, and you've just been holding back and, and you are kind of alone, but you're not willing to take that risk. You've got to take the risk. You've got to take that risk. Now, the Greek word in the New Testament for fellowship is koinonia, which has the basic meaning of sharing. Okay, so when they had fellowship, it, it was, it, it's talking about sharing. Now, a long time ago, we rearranged the chairs in this room. And some of you, the, the chairs have always been this way. They're kind of, you know, in a half circle. As best we could, we tried to get the chairs in a half circle. And one of the reasons why we did that is we wanted to sort of force you to face each other. You know, because if, if the chairs are just all in straight rows, you're only seeing the back of the heads of all the people in front of you and whoever's standing up on the stage. You're not seeing anyone else in the room. We, 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 we wanted to kind of go from the concept of straight rows to, to more the thought of circles. Now, over time, I have noticed that the chairs, the rows have be, been getting straighter and straighter and straighter. I mean, they're not as much of an art today as they were when we first arranged you know, fellowship is, is facing God and facing each other together as we travel through and journey through life. The Christian community is doing life together. Look at verse 44. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were sharing life together. And, and they weren't just sharing the good times. They were sharing the bad times as well. While, while browsing in a Hallmark store uh, one day, a man discovered a shelf that, that was marked reduced price. And he was looking through all of the items on this shelf and he came across a, a cake topper. Uh, it was a cake topper that, that had a groom and, and a bride together, you know, that would go on the top of a wedding cake. And, and it, looked, it looked pretty good to him. And... Uh, uh, Actually, it, was, it said on the front of it, Happy 10th Anniversary with this bride and this groom. And uh, it, it appeared to be in perfect condition. And then he found the tag, uh, another tag that indicated that it was damaged. And upon examining it more closely, the man found uh, another tag underneath which read, Husband is coming unglued. Now think about that. I mean, we're all coming unglued, right? I mean, I mean, we all struggle. We all have damaged things. We're all damaged goods. We all carry baggage with us. We all carry baggage with us. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes people think that the church ought to be a utopia, that there shouldn't be any problems in a group of people that would call themselves a church. That, that somehow it should be some sort of celestial resort for people who live their lives together in perfect harmony. You know, I think a better image of the church is that of one big, complicated, fascinating family that is trying to live life together as they journey down the road. I mean, think of your own family. I mean, there's... There's issues in all of our families. You can, look at, you can look at a family that seems to have everything all together. Kids are well-behaved. They're on time for everything. You know, they always have good input. There's, pro there's always problems. There's always failures. There's always things that people, that, that we're struggling to work through. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 through 14... 
Paul says that it's the responsibility of the church leaders, those who are leading in the church, the teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. You see, we're all growing up. And, and we are all on this process of becoming mature. Now, there's a, a couple words in here that, that, that amaze me to some extent, and that's when Paul identifies with this group of spiritually people, um, immature people, when he says we. He, he says that a couple times. You know, we will all reach unity in the faith one day. We will no longer be infants. We are in process. Even Paul, one of the greatest missionaries on the planet, understands that he's not perfect and that he has struggles in life. That's why we need the church fellowship. It's the community where we learn and grow and experience life. It's where we share our joys and our sorrows together. We need each other. I mean, think about, think about the times when, when your family has a party. We have parties for birthdays, right? When we celebrate that one of our children is another year old. We have, we have graduation parties and receptions because they've, they've accomplished this and we want to celebrate together with all of our friends and people that we have invited. A wedding has a reception. A big what? Party, a celebration. Where we what? Fellowship. I know that's kind of an old word, fellowship, but that's what happens. That's what goes on. We share life together. You know, when, when somebody is married for, for 25 years or for 50 years, we celebrate. That's a big deal. And who do we celebrate with? Friends, family, those that we've been sharing life with. And then what about this? What about this? When you die, who are the people that are going to be fellowshipping with your family that's left behind? And, you know, there's always a meal. There, it's, it's, you know, in some cases, it, it's a celebration of life. It's remembering this person. But, but the people that are going to be there are the ones who, who you had significant impact on or who you were living life with. And I guess maybe we should ask the question, if, if any one of us were to die today, would there be anybody there? Do you have people in your life who you are, are sacrificing for and who you're, who you're taking a risk with and who you're sharing life with? That's what we were created to do. Now, we should not be shocked or surprised at the immaturity of other Christ followers. You know, every church is filled with spiritual babies. Okay? And, and you know, now having a new grandson, it's a whole new remembrance of how messy babies can be. We need to realize that. You know, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes people look at look at a community of faith. They look at a church and they say, "Well, I don't want to be a part of that church. They're they don't do what they say. They they screw up." Yes, we do. That's why we're here. 
That's why we're part of the fellowship. That's why we're a part of the family of God. And don't be surprised if some of that immaturity comes from leaders either because I have lots of areas that I still need to mature in. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm still being challenged. And of course, we, we shouldn't put up with spiritual maturity. I mean, I shouldn't put up with that in my own life. I don't want to stay a baby. You know, I want to grow up and, and, and be mature in some of those areas that I'm, I'm immature in. So we need to take that step. But that step doesn't happen all at once. It happens in time. So sharing joys and sorrows. Look at verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. They met together. They met together on weekends in the temple. Um, they worshiped together. They, they met together during the week. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They ate together. Both of those things contributed to their growth. They, they shared their joys and their sorrows in, in those experiences. I mean, there are so many experiences that we have in life, and we don't have to do it alone. Hospitals and, and, and sickness, births and marriages, we don't have to do those things alone. We need each other. We need each other. Let's take steps to be a part of the fellowship. Now, being a part of the community involves sharing of joys and sorrows. It also includes having all things in common. This is the big one, I think. This is the one that people in our culture today struggle with. We have become so materialistic in our culture today that, that, that we read this where they're actually selling stuff and giving other people money and things that, that they need. We just kind of look at that and go, that is foreign. When's the last time that you... And maybe it was yesterday, I don't know. But, but when's the last time you sacrificed something in your own family so that you could help another family or another person that had a need for something? I mean, why would we sacrifice any of those things? Well, I, I think one of the reasons why... Um, well, look at verse 45. Selling their possessions and goods, it says, they gave to anyone as he had need. Man, that's some serious community, isn't it? That's some serious fellowship. Some serious sharing. Now, I've known people to sell stuff to, to help provide for their own needs. They've given up things so, so they could make ends meet. But, but giving up something to help someone else make an end meet, that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. And I think one of the problems, I think one of the problems is we... we, we We've been cultured, I'll call it cultured. We've been cultured to believe that everything we have is ours. My car is mine, my children are mine, my money is mine, my house is mine, my property is mine, I, and I can prove it. I have a title, I have a deed. But you know, in God's kingdom, that's all been given to us by Him. It's His. It's His. We're merely taking care of it. We're merely managing it. And, and, and if we can come to that conclusion that it's really God's in the first place, so, so why would I want to be so tight-fisted that I wouldn't let somebody else have something that I have if they need it? And then, of course, what we don't have time for today, we fall into the well. But, but what is really, do they even really need it? You know, because I've seen the car they drive. 
I mean, I've seen their TV. You mean they can't put groceries on the table? And we start making judgments. No. We, it's sharing. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So, um, I want to ask us here this morning to take four steps. Okay, four moves. Now, these aren't in your notes. They're going to be up on the screen. Okay, but I want you to write these down because I think they're important. I think that we need to make decisions in these areas. And I believe that these moves can help make your community of people stronger. They'll require some effort. They'll require some risk. But I think the, the, the benefits way outweigh the risks. The first, the first one is this. Let's move from superficial to real. Let's move from superficial to real. We're good at putting faces on. We're good at putting masks on. We're good at telling people things on Facebook and all kinds of social media that, that aren't even true about ourselves, and we have no problem doing that. Okay, but we need to move from the superficial to the real. Chicago Tribune writer Marla Paul took a risk when she wrote a self-revealing column confessing her sadness and frustration over her own inability to build and sustain significant relationships. She did this little self-revealing column not expecting much of any response. She was inundated with letter after letter of readers expressing the same frustration. One person wrote, I've often felt that I'm standing outside looking through the window of a party to which I was not invited. Do you ever feel that way? In that article, Marla confessed, this loneliness saddens me. How did it happen? I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends. She had recently read the book The Ugly Duckling to her daughter, and so she writes, there's this bird who flies from place to place looking for creatures with whom he belongs. The bird eventually finds them. Sadly, Marla Paul ended her article with this. I hope I do too. I hope I do too. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way here? Do you ever feel like you come into this room and, and when church is over, as you're leaving, there's a few groups of people that are, that are laughing and having conversation and you just walk through those doors and you walk out and you turn left and you walk to your car and you leave. I think probably most of us have felt like that at some time in our life. There's a phrase in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That word sincere contains the idea that when they met together, the masks came off. They shared personal things. They let others into their life of, of what they're struggling with or, or, or good things that are happening and things that they're celebrating. It, it, it's all a part of being in a community. And it takes a while to build a relationship like that. It, it, it takes a long time to build friendships like that. It doesn't happen naturally. You don't just come to church or go to some other group or organization and walk in the door and instantly have, you know, six friends that you're living life with and sharing with. It takes time. It could take months. It could take years. But I think the investment is well worth it. One word... One word, I think, can begin to, to get us past this superficiality. I want, turn to the person next to you and ask them how they're doing. And then, and then answer, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing? What's the common response? Good, fine, fine. I'm doing fine. 
a person could look at you and say, I'm doing fine and be dying on the inside. And that's where the conversation ends. I mean, there have been times in the last year where people would ask me how I'm doing. I'd be, I'm doing fine. I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. All the while, dying on the inside. Dying. Now, there's one word that can begin to change that. When you ask somebody how they're doing, and they say fine, and then you say, how are you doing really? How are you doing really? Because your face doesn't seem to match the words that are coming out of your mouth. Now, if you ask that question, you better be willing to listen and to hear and to care. It can't be some superficial thing because we're moving from superficial to real. Right? But sometimes that's all it takes. Sometimes all it takes is how are you doing really to have a person be willing to open up to you and trust you. Now, one of the, one of the risks that, that... One of the fears that we have is that when we share something that's deep and dark in our life to someone, that tomorrow we're going to see it on Facebook. It's going to be in the Torrington Telegram and everybody's going to know about it. So it's kind of a two-way street with this, with this relationship, this community thing, right? There, there's got to be a sense of trust. But, but I also kind of look at it like this. I, I don't want to do life alone. I'm going to share things that are happening in my life with other people. If they tell other people and other people find out that I'm not perfect and I struggle with things, that doesn't make me any different than I already am. Right? But I get it. I get it. It's a, it's a fear. Let's be real. You know, a year and a half ago, we, uh, we did a series and we really encouraged everyone to be a part of a small group and to sign up and we tried to get everybody into small groups and, and we worked hard at it and I know we weren't perfect at it. Um, I think there were probably people that didn't, they, they just, we went through the series and it ended and they never did make it into a small group and, and uh, that just, again, shows our, our imperfection. But, but, but we got into a small group and, and when the series ended and, and we as a small group decided, you know what, we're going to keep meeting. We're going to keep meeting. And that was a year and a half ago, and we're still meeting today. We're still meeting today. And those Wednesday nights from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock are important. I mean, I, we all love to get together. And it, it's not all just peaches and cream either. I mean, right now we're going, we're going through the, uh, the minor prophets. That's real encouraging stuff. It's really, it, it's really challenging stuff. But, you know, in that year and a half, over time, it didn't happen in the first month or even the first eight months, but over time, that small group of people, you know, we've, we've taken meals to one another, we've, we've, we've gone through cancer with someone, we have, we have uh, prayed about struggles with children and, and uh, relatives who have infidelity issues, and, and, and as, a, as a small group, I think at any time we could call any member of that and they would drop what they're doing and come help. That's the community. That's a community within the community. And I guess my question is, are, are you a part of that community? And if not, what's keeping you from it? Because I'm not saying you can't. And, and, and all you've got to do is make a couple phone calls and, hey, hey you guys, we're going we're gonna to start getting together on Thursday nights or Tuesday nights or Sunday afternoons or whatever day you pick in time and say, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to go through this study guide. We're, we're going to be talking about the Sermon on the Mount. There's lots of great study guides for the Sermon on the Mount. 
find some, find some people. I know, and I know there's people in, in this room who have been part of Bible studies before, but you haven't been for a while. Get back in it. Think about the good old days, because I know there were good old days. Laughter and sorrow and tears and supporting each other and doing fun things together. That honestly, that's I am I am called according to Ephesians. Um, let me find it. My responsibility is to prepare God's people for works of service. It's to prepare you for works of service. My job isn't to make sure you guys are all in a small group, although I want to do that. It's to encourage you to get in one. Take, take action. Find a community. And, and if, if you're like, well, I, we don't even know anybody in this room. We don't even have a clue who we would contact. Write that on your Connect card and we'll do what we can to help you. We'll do what we can to help you. Move from superficial to real. Number two, move from beat down to encouraged. You know, life can get heavy. I mean, where do I even start? Nationally, we got Christians being killed all over. Another 28 last week in, in Ethiopia. It's, it's going to happen more and more and more over there. There's displaced people. There's nuclear power conversations with Iran. I mean, there's all, all kinds of stuff. Our, our own government, our, our own community. There's tragic deaths. There's, there's people dying at young ages. There's people who's, who are having their life taken away from them. And then there are things going on in our own families. I'll, I'll, I'll bet that, that there's somebody in this room this week got a heavy, a heavy medical um, diagnosis. Or maybe someone in this room, maybe you're here without your spouse and it's because it's not because they, they're working or they're sick, it's because they didn't want to come with you. Some of you are without work and the bills are stacking up. Some of you, um, you know, there's too much month at the end of your paycheck and it's tough. Maybe you sat down to have a conversation with your son or daughter this week and they just sat across the table with a 12-pound chip on their shoulder. And, and you couldn't get through. And, and, then, and then there's what's going on in our minds and our hearts. You know, those nagging, toxic thoughts that demoralize us. Like, yeah, yeah, I told you you couldn't do it. I told you if you made a commitment in church on Sunday morning that by Thursday you will have failed with it. I mean, those conversations happen in our life a lot. That guilty feeling. David even experienced it in Psalm 38, verses 6 and 8. I am bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. This is no health, there, this is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of the heart. How many would say this morning that you're carrying a heavy burden, I wonder? This next verse I'm going to read can't happen in this room on a Sunday morning. It's Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. It can't happen in an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. It just can't. Paul knows we need each other. He knows from firsthand experience the need for people. Now, as a pastor, as a pastor I'm not as concerned about the burdens that you walked in the door with as much as I am the, the burdens that you're going to walk back out that door with and try and experience by yourself this week. Because you don't have to. 
I believe a great place for that to start to happen is in a small group. It, it takes time. It takes some commitment. But you know, after a year and a half, it's almost it's almost not a question as of if we're going to have it tonight. It's where is it and and why not? You know, I mean, it 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 becomes it becomes a habit. It becomes a part of our life and an important part that we're not willing to give up. Now, just one other quick note about small groups. We're always looking for small group leaders. If we had, let's say, a dozen people today from both services say, hey, we'd like to be in a small group, we need small group leaders for those. If there's somebody here that would be willing to, to, to lead a group, um, mark that on your Connect card as well. All right, from superficial to real, from beat down to encouraged, and from lonely to messy. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis that's pretty incredible. To love, and I quote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must not give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. It will become hard. Fellowship is messy. It's a risk. It really is. Henry Nouwen says that community is the place where the person I least want to be there is always there. Now, one of the most striking things about Jesus is that he didn't work things out to, to make sure that the disciples were all guys that would get along with each other. You know, that, you know, we always try to fit people in small groups that have like interests and they're, they're in the same age group or whatever. Their children are the same age and that sort of thing. But Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. Um, in Mark chapter 3, there's a list of the people in, in, in Jesus' small group, the 12 disciples. And one of them is Simon the Zealot. Now, zealots... Uh, were an extremist, nationalistic political party that were committed to overthrowing the Roman government by any and all means. RPGs, IEDs, assassinations, and if you kill a few civilians, that's just collateral damage. That was Simon the Zealot. In fact, the only people zealots hated more than, Ro than Romans were Roman collaborators like tax collectors who were usually Jewish people trying to capitalize on Rome for their own corrupted greed. Now, Jesus says to Simon, I love your passion. You're a zealot. You despise Roman collaborators. I'll take you. Then he says to Matthew, You're a despised Roman tax collector. I'll take you. In fact, you get to be Simon's roommate. You guys should have some great interesting conversations. Right? Well, he did, and he didn't just stop there. Um, when it comes to the fishermen, um, Peter and Andrew, he, he continues. Um, when he came along, Peter and Andrew, they were casting their nets out off of the shore, which shows that they didn't own a boat and they were probably uh, in a lower economic place. And then, and then Jesus goes to... Uh, um, lost my place. Then Jesus goes and he invites John and James, James and John, who have a boat. 
who were probably in a higher socioeconomic class. So he, he takes these two sets of brothers who come from different socioeconomic places and he puts them together. So now we have a zealot, a Roman collaborator, and, and two guys from different socioeconomic statuses. And Jesus puts them all in a small group. And you throw in all of those other guys too. Right? That's the community. That's a fellowship. You know, that kind of community isn't easy. And, and sometimes being in a small group Bible study isn't easy. If, if, you're, if you're getting close to the people and you're sharing things. Because, you know, sometimes there's always that one person, right? It's never you, of course. There's always that one person. They always talk a lot or they answer every question or, or it's all about them, right? So here's the thing. If you, if you get into a small group, which I'm, I'm assuming everybody's going to just jump right in in the next couple of weeks and, and have one established by the time we start our next sermon series, um, and you find that, that you all get along and everything and everything's good and smooth, let me know. I've got a list of problem people. and I, No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally, totally kidding. But community is messy. It's messy. I thought I found a perfect community once. And then I joined it. It wasn't perfect anymore. Because I was in it. We have to be able to admit that. All right. Move from superficial to real, from beat down to encouraged, move from lonely to messy, and then finally, number four, move from mundane to supernatural. Move from mundane to supernatural. Jesus is uniquely present in his community. He is always present. Every place, every moment. But he's present in his community in a special way. Dallas Willard says this, Personalities united can contain more of God and sustain the force of his presence than scattered individuals. We can do more together. Together, there can be a stronger sense of the presence of God than going it alone. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The writer of Hebrews says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Okay? That's part of the sharing. That's part of the caring. That's, that's encouraging. That's living life together. And then he says this, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Uh, this verse is in there because obviously there had been people who gave up on the fellowship. They gave up on the community, whether it was a small group or it was, or it was a church. They gave up. They stopped going. I mean, it is hard. What we're trying to do at, at North Hills is not easy. I mean, loving you all is hard. And loving me is hard. That's why so many people bail on church, I think. They get hurt or a, a need doesn't get met and they get upset or angry. I mean, honestly, that's life. That's life in any family. People say things they shouldn't. They, they make mistakes. They don't say things when they should. We get together. We continue to meet, we work it out, and we go on in life. And, 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 and all in the process of that, in the midst of that, God is working, and, and He's growing, and He's maturing. And, and we come out of that stronger, 
and 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 maybe we think about starting to eat mixed vegetables or pureed meat and then and then we move to the stronger stuff and we grow and we mature more and more I mean there are people who have bailed on church you might know them but not you you're here I'm here I'm not going to bail I mean I I I'm I'm in I told you last week I believe that the church the fellowship is 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 the hope of the world. We're we're it in this part of of the world. My brother always said, "You you don't get to fight with the army you want. You fight with the army you got." This is it, and we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. I'm not in because we have a perfect church that's problem-free, that never has any issues. I'm in because I believe that the church, that this church, is the light unto our community so that people around us can catch glimpses of what it's like to live and struggle and be in conflict and resolve and be reconciled with other people. And I believe that if the Holy Spirit is working in that and and as we live life, people that are looking on the outside in and they see that and we're sharing about that with them, why wouldn't they want to be a part? So it's your move. It's your move. I want to close this morning with, with an illustration. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about the church being the light of the world. And uh, I think this is an illustration that, that, that will show us. So if, uh, Lois, could you, reach, could you reach back there and turn those lights out and, and somebody go back there to, to write back those two lights back there in the back of the aisle. Ty's going to get them. The lights are already out upstairs. Um, I thought it was going to be a bright, sunshiny day today, which is why I uh, darkened all the windows. So just, just think about this. You know, when you walked in and Ty mentioned it, that, that, that the window's being closed off, that it's sort of, ooh, it, I don't like it. That's the darkness that we live in. That's the darkness that people that you know experience on an everyday basis. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They don't know who to trust. They have no hope in their life. They have absolutely no hope in their life. They think that they're just going to struggle through life. Life's going to end and it's going to be over. They're going to rot in the grave. That's what they think life is. But we don't believe that because, see, we have the light of the world. Jesus Christ, and and I'll just let you experience this light just a little bit. You can feel the heat, can't you, Anya? Yeah, this is the light of the world. Jesus came into the world, okay, and he shines that light into us. We have that light. We are salt and light to the world. The church is the hope of the world. And and if you look at this mirror as I said earlier, that represents us. There is no hope of that mirror producing any light in and of itself. It's dark. It's dark. You shouldn't be able to see anything if it was black in here, but of course you can. And then when we believe, we become a reflector of God's light. I stand ones. Okay? Now, here's the thing. 
that, that mirror is not producing any light, but yet it is. Because if this represents God and, and Jesus Christ is the light of the world, then He is making that mirror holy. And He is using that mirror. He is empowering that mirror with His light to shine that light into the lives of other people. And, you know, I could move over here and I could shine it in the eyes of a few more people. Right? I just really like doing that. I'm sorry. Now, here's, here's the thing. We could... You know, we looked at it last week. If you had a light like this in the dark, you could cover it up, right? Why would you do that? No, you want this light shining into the darkness. And then as, as we are living our lives before other people in a community, in a fellowship, struggling through life, that light shines through us. And, and then that light does something that's just, it's just amazing to me. When that light shines in our life and then it begins to shine on the lives of other people, cool things happen. Other people get to experience that light being shined out of you. And, 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 and light multiplies light and then I could actually shine it over here and then it gets really big. See, this is what happens when the church is the church. When we live lives, our lives like Acts chapter 2 and, and we share sorrows and, and joys, and, and we share stuff that God has given us. And, and we live as salt and light, and we shine that light into the lives of other people. We become the reflection. We become holy. And that holiness then shines on the light of other people. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You that You are the light of the world. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live our life in darkness. Roy, you can turn the lights on the stage. Up. Lord, thank you for grace and mercy for your son, Jesus. And I pray that every person in this room has believed that they've surrendered their life to you. Lord, as Christians, as Christ followers, as those who have, I pray that, that, that we would all submit ourselves to You in that process as You grow and mature us so that we don't stay as babies or infants, but we become mature and complete. And Lord, I pray that, that, that we would think about this illustration this week and we think about how we, are, we have been made holy by You. We have been set apart for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of the Gospel to people around us. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, we will see that you are working in miraculous ways and we will see that light shines through us into other people's lives and we will see all of those lights. This little church. Lord, I pray that we would take the risk, that we would make the moves, stand with one another that we would see other people around us who are in darkness begin to shine the light themselves in Jesus' name.